0: Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Block. This week on The West Block the economic impact of COVID 19.
1: Is the government willing to provide Canadians with an update as to how they will get Canada's fiscal track? Uh, back under control
2: when this pandemic is over. It's déjà vu all over again. We've heard uh, yet again the same uh, economic arguments that the Conservatives have been making for years. We're working hard to preserve our employment and our uh, economy for the long
0: term. Then. China.
2: While we advocate for the release of uh, the two Michaels who have been uh, arbitrarily detained by China uh, in retaliation for uh, a judicial system that is independent.
0: Great to be back. And the conservative leadership race. The federal government has spent billions of dollars to supplement wages, help small and medium-sized businesses, and provide financial aid to both students and seniors.
2: We all understand that uh, this is a crisis that is hitting really hard on businesses right across the country. And we know that if our economy is to come back, uh, we need uh, a large number of those businesses to hold on and to make it through this pandemic.
0: So how much more is the government going to spend and when will we find out the shape of the government's finances? Joining me now to talk about this from Toronto is Finance Minister Bill Morneau. Welcome to the show, Minister.
3: Thanks for having me, Mercedes.
0: Uh, Minister Morneau, your government didn't release a budget because of the pandemic, and so far you haven't released a fiscal update. Can you give Canadians a ballpark sense of the state of Canada's finances? Because we're hearing a $252 billion deficit uh, and a $3 trillion debt. Uh, Those numbers are extraordinarily high.
3: Well, let me just start by saying that we're obviously in a time where the Uh, economic situation is very fluid. What we've worked hard to do is to make sure that we are giving Canadians a sense of how we're supporting them, how we're supporting individuals, how we're supporting businesses. We're giving as much transparency as we possibly can on the cost of the measures that we're putting out, uh, estimates and then updates as we go out to to Parliament and Canadians. We think that's really important. I can tell you, though, that right now, because of how uh, rapidly uh, things are changing, it is difficult for us to have a, a clear understanding of the exact economic situation. We don't want to have false precision in an economic and fiscal update. We're working hard to get to a, a, an understanding of where we're at so that we can then take a look at the measures and give, give a good sense of where we're moving to. So that's work that's ongoing, and uh, when we have a date, we'll, we'll be out with it. And that's uh, something I'm looking towards.
0: Do you think that that date will be before Parliament rises for the summer?
3: Right now, what I can tell you is that uh, is that we are we are obviously updating our scenarios every single day, uh, making sure that we understand where we're going. Uh, it is uh, certainly something that we're, we're working on. Uh, I don't know yet when that date will be because we're, we're trying to make sure that we can have a picture of, of where the economy is going. So, so that work is ongoing, Mercedes. Uh, I don't have a date yet, but we'll be, uh, we'll be certainly uh, continuing to inform Canadians about the measures we're taking, uh, the costs and the expected supports and, and how important those are. So that'll be our, our daily approach to transparency.
0: Okay, so I guess we'll see if parliamentarians get a chance to look at that before the summer break. But speaking of government programs and moving forward, one of the things you have to start thinking about at this point as the finance minister is how do you start paying down all that money that's been spent? Is your government looking at raising taxes?
3: Uh, Well, no, we're not. Uh, And I think... Uh, although, of course, we need to think about the challenges we will eventually face. I will tell you that we are very focused now on on the supports that we put in place for individuals and for businesses and on how we move towards a new sense of normal. So, So that focus initially has been on things like the emergency response benefit for people, things like the financing for small businesses, the credit or for large businesses that you saw us release this week. I'm very much in the mode now of thinking about what are the next steps so with the wage subsidy we announced an extension to the end of August I want to make sure that we think about how that extension should move forward what are the conditions that will allow for us to to get back to work in a gradual and responsible way so that we can get to that new normal so that that work is is critically important right now as we think about supporting individuals and businesses but doing it in a way that creates the right incentives for us to get back to the things we want to get back to which is is leading a a life, notwithstanding the challenges we're facing, that is moving into a a different stage and a a new normal.
0: Uh, And speaking of supporting Canadian businesses and Canadian individuals, When you were first looking at how to deal with the pandemic, you wanted to pass some pretty extraordinary legislation that finance officials said you wanted so that you could make sure you had a check and balance on the banks. I'm curious to know at this point in the pandemic, Minister, are you satisfied with how Canadian banks have behaved and do you think that they've stepped up to the plate?
3: Well, I've, I've been working uh, closely with the banks through the entire time of, of this pandemic, obviously pushing them to move forward. We've put an awful lot of liquidity out into the market through the Bank of Canada, uh, through the CMHC, and we want the banks to actually use that liquidity to, to help their... Their clients, their customers. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, as with anything, it's a work in progress. I've seen a, a significant number of of mortgage deferrals, which is appropriate for this time. We've obviously seen banks come forward for people who are experiencing credit card challenges and and cut those credit card interest rates in half. Uh, we're going to need to continue to push banks to to be supportive of their their customers. It's in their interest as well. When we put forward programs like the large enterprising financing, which we put forward this week, it's very much structured so that, so that banks will support their, their clients first and that we will only be the, the source of credit for organizations that are out of other sources. So that working together continues to be important. We've seen them step forward. Uh, there'll always be more to do for the banks, for the government, uh, and we're, we're working uh, together as best we can to make sure that happens.
0: Hmm, Sounds like you think there's some room for improvement there, but we have to move on to our last last question, Minister. There's been a lot of concern about state actors buying out Canadian companies, things like oil companies, uh, which we saw the Saudis getting involved in, uh, the Chinese looking at a gold mine up in Nunavut, and now a warning from CSIS that state actors could be looking at buying up Canadian bioscience companies that your government has invested a lot of money in. I know you have a strategic review in place to make sure any foreign sales are looked at during the pandemic, But given that a lot of these companies are going to continue to be vulnerable beyond that, are you looking at extending that strategic review?
3: Well, right now what we're trying to do with this and with other measures is think about the emergency time period. So that strategic review during this time period is critically important. We we need to make sure that that, uh, we protect you know our economy for the long term and that that means protecting it for jobs, it means protecting it for our continued ability to to have a vibrant and, and healthy uh, economy. So, so that's critically important. We're not making decisions about long-term structural issues during this time of the economic crisis. We do have measures that were already in place to review foreign acquisitions before we got into this crisis. Uh, of course those will continually need to be considered what what's most important i think is that that we focus ourselves on the issues that we have right now and that's what we're doing and we're going to continue doing it
0: okay minister morno we're out of time thank you so much for joining us this morning
3: okay thanks very much take care
1: the biggest issue in our bilateral relationship is still Mu Wanzhou's case so that's why we have made our position very clear you know to make sure that she's back in china smoothly and safely. China
2: doesn't work quite the same way and don't seem to understand that we do have an independent judiciary from political uh, intervention. We will continue to follow and uphold the independence of our judicial system uh, while we advocate for the release of uh, the two Michaels who have been uh, arbitrarily detained by China.
0: That was China's ambassador Song Pei-yu last week on this show, responding to a question that I asked about the two Canadians in custody in China, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. Then you saw our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, here in Canada's reaction to what the ambassador had to say. China has been now linking the 18-month detainment of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor to the arrest of Huawei's CFO Meng Wanzhou, who's being held in Vancouver. Should Canada take a tougher stance when it comes to dealing with China? Joining me now to talk about this is Canada's former ambassador to China, David Mulroney. Good morning, Mr. Mulroney.
1: Good morning, Mercedes.
0: You had a chance to watch that interview with the Chinese ambassador. What did you make of his comments?
1: Well, as you indicated, his, he made no bones about connecting the Meng Wanzhou case with the detention of the two Michaels. And I think what we're getting there is the mask slipping. China is now uh, no longer worrying about pretending that there is some uh, you know, legal reason for detaining our two citizens. And they're showing both uh, a power play to intimidate us, and they're showing contempt, frankly, to Canada and and to Canadians. And uh, we're seeing this in more of their diplomatic um, announcements and messages but it's, it's, we're seeing the real China in all of this.
0: I'm curious to know what you think triggered that, because you're saying the mask is slipping. Uh, Canada's current ambassador to Beijing, Dominic Barton, made a comment saying essentially he thinks he drank too much of the Kool-Aid, that China is alienating people. What is leading to this change in posture in how China is addressing the international community?
1: Well, uh, you know, we, didn't, we don't know exactly what Ambassador Barton said because it was in a closed-door session. Um, but he seemed to be saying that the, what's called the wolf warrior diplomacy, the the angry rhetoric from Chinese diplomats is is alienating people, and I'd say it absolutely is. But what we don't know, we don't know if Ambassador Barton made this point, but it's an important point to make. This isn't a, a question of rhetoric or communications. The wolf warrior diplomacy is actually actually reflects how China really thinks, what it thinks about the rest of the world, how it operates. So it isn't a question of modifying their communications. It's a question of understanding that this represents the challenge we're up against. This is how China really thinks. And that should be informing Canadian public policy. It should be informing our response to China. And I I haven't really seen evidence of that yet.
0: So how how does China think? What does China think about the rest of the world, especially Canada?
1: Uh, It thinks of Canada. It's interested in Canada for a lot of reasons. Uh, Chinese people want to go to Canada, visit Canada, study in Canada, Canada. It's a country that has some interesting technologies. But basically, China sees Canada as a vassal state of the United States, as a minor country that it can push around. And part of their great anger at the Meng Wanzhou um, process and the fact that um, you know we, she's facing extradition hearings is China's outrage that a country as small as Canada would dare to do this. So we're seeing this reflected in how the, the ambassador is now uh, speaking, We've also been seeing, seeing it in the last uh, week or so from the Chinese consulate in Calgary that had been taking on uh, Premier Kenny. So Chinese diplomats are not afraid to take on elected officials in Canada, uh, to take on the Parliament of Canada and, and to show their contempt. And that, that that's really, that, that's the real thing.
0: So what should the Canadian government be doing in response to this?
1: The other thing that we've been seeing, and this is really, really interesting, is a growing consensus among like-minded countries that when we come out of the pandemic and and when things begin to return to normal, and I hope that happens soon, that there's a reappraisal of how we engage China. Australia has been leading that process and using China's uh, pandemic cover-up as the, the sort of opening question in a new debate about how we engage China. Canada's been a, a bit of a laggard. We've, you know, we've endorsed some of the things that Australia and others have been saying, but we haven't been in the lead. And I think we've got to take a much more active role and understand that things are changing in fundamental ways, and we've got to get, you know, we've got to get our own system uh, in tune with those changes. And part of it involves what's referred to as decoupling, perhaps having a less, you know, comprehensive engagement with China, focusing on core interests but not feeling obliged to say yes to everything that China suggests.
0: China wants to impose a national security law on Hong Kong that is raising major concerns about democracy and civil liberty there. What is China trying to do there, and what do you believe the consequences of this law will be?
1: China is deeply frustrated because uh, the Hong Kong government, which is the level of government that, that should be looking at security issues like this, tried to do this Uh, about 17 years ago, and popular response from the people of Hong Kong who were legitimately afraid that this would uh, really interfere with their basic rights to communicate, to write, to speak out, to demonstrate. Hong Kong's people forced it to be uh, set aside. Now China, seeing us all distracted by the pandemic, is going to do the work itself. This is really the last step in dismantling One Country, Two Systems and really reneging on the deal that they, that China agreed to with the United Kingdom and directly with a lot of friends of Hong Kong, including Canada. Canada su- supported the 1997 agreement between Britain and China precisely because we thought the deal gave uh, protect- protection to Hong Kong institutions, that it guaranteed a significant degree of Hong Kong autonomy. This is China reneging on this, demolishing it, and it's yet another reason why we need to rethink uh, about the, a world that is more dominated by China, where we really need to remodel our foreign policy.
0: David Mulroney, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time.
1: Thank you very much, Mercedes. And the next leader will inherit a unified caucus, a more dynamic caucus, a larger caucus, a strengthened opposition. We have 121 seats, more seats, significantly more seats than we had in the last election, and a party that is ready to win the next election.
0: That was Conservative Party leader Andrew Scheer. In August, party members will elect a new leader. Former Cabinet Minister Peter McKay is running for that job, and he joins me now from Toronto. Welcome to the show for the first time as Candidate McKay. How are you?
4: Very well, Mercedes. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for joining us. You know, Mr. McKay, the race has been criticized on all sides by people who say it's boring. There have been no big ideas. So I want to put the question to you. What do you stand for? What big idea do you have to offer to Canadians?
4: Well, I think one of the big ideas is, uh, of course, putting our natural resource sector on a stronger footing. And and in particular, that means our energy sector, being able to get oil and gas, and in particular, liquefied natural gas into the world market, places like India, Pakistan, parts of the Asia Pacific, but also Europe, and, and also frankly, parts of Canada, being completely energy independent. And having that liquefied natural gas, which is ethically produced, competitively priced and available puts us in a place where we're actually now doing something about greenhouse gas emissions because it burns at 50% of the emissions of coal-fired generation, which is what many countries are still using. And we see a significant return on investment that comes back to Canada. We see our ability then to invest in new green technologies partner in the infrastructure process with our First Nations, and quite frankly, allow our economy to start to rise again, which is good news for everyone. That's part of a broader vision of having an economic prosperity corridor that goes right across the country. So yes, moving oil and gas product, but hydro, transporting all goods and services, and removing all of the interprovincial trade barriers. That, to me, Immediately kickstarts our economy.
0: Mr. McKay, I have to ask you this question. You've taken it on the chin a number of times in this campaign. You've had to reverse policies. At times, you've lost staff. You've had to apologize. Uh, you're an experienced politician. And, and that performance surprised a lot of people. And it has your political adversaries, like Aaron O'Toole, saying things like Justin Trudeau will eat Peter McKay alive. Peter McKay can't handle the pressure. What do you say to those comments?
4: Well, firstly, Mercedes, when you're building a national organization, there's always early missteps. I've spent 18 years in the Parliament of Canada, run six elections, served in major cabinet portfolios of justice, foreign affairs and defense. I believe I've uh, I've shown my, my credentials and I'll continue to do so and speak, most importantly, about a positive vision for the country that unifies conservatives, that brings people together around forward-looking, constructive ideas and quite frankly we have to unify as a party if we're going to be able to get ready to replace this liberal government that has taken the country in my view in the wrong direction and so that's what my focus has been we have over 3,000 volunteers involved we've done very well on the membership sales and the funding of this campaign and we continue to build the support that we need in my view to win this contest
0: I think a lot of people still were surprised by what they'd see as rookie mistakes. And one of them was your initial launch of your campaign in French. It didn't go so well. Uh, you mistranslated a word. And Quebec is really key in this leadership race. You and Aaron O'Toole are locked head-to-head in the latest polling and support there at 40%. Would you say that you're now bilingual in French?
4: Mercedes, c'est tellement important pour chaque candidat d'avoir la capacité de présenter les idées, les politiques en français, les, l'autre langue officielle de notre pays. Et donc, le, le prochain chef de notre parti, c'est absolument nécessaire d'avoir la capacité, la spécificité et le, le la langue pour annoncer leur, leur idée, leurs idées, leurs so, idées. Donc, euh, je suis très contente des progrès que je fais. Dans uh, mes efforts de continuer mon uh, accélération de, de, de capacité en français.
0: Is that bilingual? Is that
4: bilingual? Well, you you uh, are a French speaker, I believe.
0: Uh, my French is very limited. (laughs) But let's move on to the next question. I'm also not running for prime minister, but trying to improve it. Uh, Mr. McKay, there is a candidate who has now twice been kicked out of the race, Jim Carajalios. He has been accused of saying things that were Islamophobic about one of the major candidate, Aaron O'Toole's campaign staff. You haven't said a lot about his candidacy. Do you believe he should have been allowed to run in this race?
4: Well, Mercedes, I'm a big believer in our democratic process. That was a decision taken by the party twice, as you pointed out. I've actually advocated uh, at the beginning of this race to have as many candidates as possible, encouraged some of my own supporters to sign the nomination papers of other candidates to encourage as many in the the contest as possible. The ultimate decision is going to be in the hands of the membership. And that, uh, of course, is an important decision for our party. And I I have a lot of faith in the wisdom of our party.
0: Uh, You had said earlier that you wanted an election this fall. Now, of course, COVID-19 has changed everything. So I'm wondering, do you still think the Conservative Party should try to bring down the government in October?
4: Well, I think you've answered part of that question in that COVID-19 has changed everything. I think it really requires an all-hands-on-deck approach right now to ensure that the economy in addition to human health, is a priority. And so we need to, uh, I believe, continue to see that people are getting back to work, that we as a country are rallying around our our economy and all efforts to help those businesses and those opportunities that we know do exist in the country to reach their maximum potential. So, you know, with Parliament uh, scheduled to come back in the fall, uh, it is going to require, I believe, a lot more scrutiny on the steps that the government has taken. And so as far as an election is concerned, I don't think that that is the priority for the country.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Kay. We appreciate it.
4: Thank you very much, Mercedes.
0: That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening. And please be sure to follow the West Block on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great week.